The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. This is the Chris Salcedo Show. Let me bring on our guest, folks. Herb London, president of the London Center for Policy Research. He's responsible for creating the Gallatin School of Individualized Study in 1972 and was in its dean until 1992. Uh, Herb London is a graduate of Columbia University, the recipient of a Ph.D. from New York University. Dr. London appeared in every major newspaper and journal in our nation. He's also an author and a playwright. Mr. London, welcome back to the Salcedo Show. It's a pleasure as always. Well, a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much, Chris. Let's divert our attention away from what I am classifying as more of a distraction here with these these fringe groups going at it uh, in Charlottesville. Let's talk about some some rather existential matters like North Korea, for example. Now, they have since backed off from their threats to attack Guam. Uh, Can we credit Trump's change in tone from Clinton, from Bush, from Obama uh, to uh, maybe convincing the Chinese and convincing the North Koreans that maybe America was serious for a change? I don't think there's any question that the Trump attitude is so different from his predecessors. It's also true that he doesn't have the luxury of kicking the can down the road because there isn't any road any longer. Once the North Koreans demonstrated that they had the capability of reading, reaching the shores of the United States with their ICBM, there is no doubt that the intelligence community made it clear we can no longer simply abide our time and simply wait and see what happens. Trump, I think, has conducted himself appropriately, even though he's been excoriated for saying, oh, this is an extreme behavior, fire and fury. I mean, what kind of language is that? But again, that message was not designed for Americans. It was designed for Kim Jong-un. It was designed for the Iranians. It was designed for those nations that have nuclear weapons and would act irresponsibly. Trump is saying, look, very, very quickly, we can eliminate North Korea from the face of the earth. And we're prepared to do that. So get that message. And apparently, Kim Jong-un did get that message. Again, what happens now, of course, remains to be seen. They're not going to give up their nuclear weapons voluntarily. Will there be some sort of cessation on the development of nuclear weapons? Perhaps. Will there be some protocols associated with the way in which those weapons are, are stored through some sort of C3 analysis? command, control, and communication, perhaps. I mean, again, there are a lot of imponderables here, but there is no doubt that the way in which Trump has conducted himself is very different from his predecessors. Yeah, another audience for the president may have been the People's Republic of China, as they have... Well, first off, let's, let's, let's give Trump his due that it wasn't Clinton, it wasn't Bush, it wasn't Obama who got a 15 to nothing vote in the United Nations Security Council to condemn and put massive sanctions on North Korea. That was the Trump administration. And I think that speaks to your point, uh, Mr. London, the fact that, uh, that there's, no, there's no other road left to kick the can down. And I think a lot of these people in the Security Council realize that, number one. But n- now you've got China actually cutting back on North Korean imports. I mean, could they finally be on board? Well, again, it's very difficult to know. The Chinese have a metaphorical beast in the cage. When their hegemonic role in the Pacific is challenged, they can always pull this beast out of the cage, namely North Korea. And so it plays a role for them. We have to convince the Chinese that this advantage that they have with a North Korean alliance is less significant than the disadvantages we can impose on them. And we can impose many disadvantages. One that I've talked to you about before 
is, of course, talking to the Japanese about lifting the ban on, on, on nuclear weapons, Article 9 and the Japanese Constitution. If they were to do that, I assure you, the Chinese would be alarmed thinking about a Japan armed with nuclear weapons, changing the correlation of forces in the Pacific. And there is also no doubt that almost all of the, uh, the contacts that North Korea has in the commercial world is with dollar-denominated funds. Dollars, we control dollars. We control those funds in the Asian banks. We can do an awful lot to freeze everything that happens in North Korea. And then, of course, the Chinese do control 90% of all the trade, the food and fuel that goes into North Korea. If the Chinese decided tomorrow, we're cutting off North Korea, we're turning off the spigot, I can assure you that's the end of North Korea. How do you fire missiles without electricity? No, it's, it's a great point. And uh, I think your broader point about not knowing what China's going to do because they have a habit of saying they're on board and they'll do a couple of they'll throw a couple of carrots, but then they kind of taper off and do their own thing. If they stick to this and and really try to rein in North Korea, and it's up to the administration to keep the pressure up, in my view, and I'll, and I'll ask you if you feel the same, but it's up to the administration to keep up the pressure so that China drives this point all the way home, which is the dismantling of North Korea's nuclear infrastructure and their nuclear program and their missile program. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we have an obligation in the United States to pursue the, uh, the kind of guidelines established by Trump. Trump made it clear we are not going to tolerate a situation in which, in which North Korea can challenge American interests abroad. I mean, people overlook the fact we've got 28,000 American troops in South Korea as a tripwire. We've got 12,000 in Guam, naval officers. We've got 50,000 troops in Japan and, and Okinawa. I mean, it, it's not as if the United States isn't present in this area. And then, of course, we have our allies that we have to worry about as well, the Japanese and the South Koreans, among others. And so there is no doubt that the United States has clear interests in the region. Now the question is, will Trump continue to press on the Chinese and make it perfectly clear we cannot tolerate the existing situation? Herb London, our guest right now, president of the London Center for Policy Research. Uh, let's pivot. You mentioned Iran there for a minute, and there has not been much focus on the Iranians, and I think that's kind of dangerous, even though the Trump administration is being asked to evaluate whether they're keeping in the spirit of the deal, and Trump says no, they're not keeping in the spirit of the failed uh, idiotic Iranian nuke deal that Obama put together. But there have been a couple of near misses with some Iranian drones in our fighter craft. Uh, give us your read on this situation in the world. Well, look, the, the Iranians understand full well that what happens in North Korea is going to happen to them. And then the messages that Trump is delivering to the North Koreans are messages he could clearly deliver to the Iranians as well. The 159-page document that's part of the deal that Obama consummated with the Iranians is in some sense ridiculous because it virtually guarantees the Iranians with nuclear weapons. If they cheat, maybe they have the weapons now or in a year. If they do nothing, they will have those weapons in 10 years. So there's no doubt about the guarantee of nuclear weapons. What we have to be able to say is, uh-uh, I'm sorry, this document was never approved by the Iranian government. And in a sense wasn't approved by our Senate either because it wasn't considered a treaty. Right. So it seems to me that what we ought to say is, look, we are prepared to renegotiate. We're prepared to sit down with you and start talking about this in serious terms. The 159-page document is written in the subjunctive tense. That means that if you read it carefully, it says these are things that can happen. These are things that might happen. 
But these aren't things that must happen. Well, it seems to me that we be, should be talking about the things that must happen in Iran. And again, not, it's not simply tough talk. The United States can do an awful lot to impose our will on the Iranians. Now, we've given them a free ride, even with Trump, largely because we want to defeat ISIS. And the Ara- Iranian troops have been fighting with the Iraqi troops and American special forces. Those days are over. We've yeah. defeated ISIS in Mosul and in, uh, in, in various areas that in Raqqa. And so the central command has, has been defeated. Now, of course, they've metastasized, and there's still a problem with ISIS, but very different from the problem in the past. As a consequence, we don't need the Iranians as an ally. Now the question is, what do we do to oppose the Iranians? And it's time, I think, for the Trump administration to say very seriously what they've been saying to the North Koreans. We are going to engage in a very different set of conditions with the Iranian government. No, I think it's, I think it's about time as well, and you bring up a great point about ISIS. Isn't it amazing? When you get a, an administration who is committed to winning uh, from the front lines to observers on the ground in the countries affected, even in Syria, even in, in Iraq, the, the, the message is the same. Now that the Trump administration is here and now that they're playing to win, all of a sudden ISIS is enjoying nothing but defeat after defeat after defeat. And it does turn out that, that, that Obama was the problem. Well, Obama was unquestionably the problem. I look, American foreign policy for the eight years under Obama was a policy of retreat, a policy of withdrawal. The United States was not going to play any role in international affairs, largely because Obama believed that the arc of history was moving in our direction. And it was not necessary for us to do anything, because ultimately the nations of the world would come together in a kind of kumbaya moment. And all of us would agree that the outliers, those nations that are acting inappropriately, would have to be penalized. I mean, it's a kind of naive, almost adolescent view of foreign policy and American history. Yeah. A uh, last thing, uh, just want you to, to pivot a little bit back here to, to home turf. What you see happening in Charlottesville, uh, in the state in which I broadcast, there's threatening now to taking down Confederate monuments in the city of Dallas and all over the country. Uh, I look at this as the, the extremists, the, the white supremacists and other uh, Uh, hateful white supremacist groups, uh, KKK and the the like, rising up to do battle with these extremist leftist groups, the the anti-Semitic, the the socialists in our midst. These these two groups appear to want to go at it. And and we're and, and the rest of America seems to be caught in the middle. What do you think? Well, I think that you're right. You know, but the the problem that I have with all of this is that these wingbats do not represent me. Neither side represents me. And I keep looking, reading these newspapers, the, the so-called mainstream newspapers, and they make it clear that you're either on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true. I don't agree with the white supremacists, and I certainly don't agree with Black Lives Matter. I don't fall into either of those categories, and I don't think most Americans do either. And yet you would get the impression on listening to the mainstream media that you, you, you've got to be in one of these two camps. Well, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And what the, the fourth estate is doing so irresponsibly is creating this kind of havoc in America by suggesting that the wingbats who represent 0.0001 of the population represent the entire population. It is, is ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Herb London, everybody, president of London Center for Policy Research. Sir, it is always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks for being here. Chris, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. All the best.